0: Volume One, Chapter Three of Gwen Wynn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Gwen Wynn, A Romance of the Y, by Maine Reed. Chapter Three: A Charon Corrupted. The lawn of Langorin Court, for a time abandoned to the dumb quadrupeds that had returned to their tranquil pasturing is again enlivened by the presence of the two young ladies, but so transformed that they are scarce recognizable as the same late seen upon it. Of course, it is their dresses that have caused the change. Miss Wynne, now wearing a pea-jacket of navy blue, with anchor buttons and a straw hat set coquettishly on her head, its ribbons of azure hue trailing over, and prettily contrasting with the plates of her chrome-yellow hair, gathered in a great coil behind— but for the flowing skirt below she might be mistaken for a young mid whose cheeks as yet show only the down one who would find sweethearts in every port miss lee's is less nautically attired having but slipped over her morning dress a palatot of the ordinary kind and on her head a plumed hat of the neapolitan pattern for all a costume becoming especially the brigand-like head-gear which sets off her finely chiselled features and skin dark as any daughter of the south they are about to start towards the boat dock when a difficulty presents itself not to gwen but to the companion we have forgotten joseph she exclaims joseph is the ancient retainer of the wynn family who in its domestic affairs plays parts of many kinds among them the mateer of boatmen it is his duty to look after the gwendoline see that she is snug in her dock "'with oars and steering apparatus in order. "'Go out with her when his young mistress takes a row on the river, "'or ferry any one of the family who has occasion to cross it, "'the last a need by no means rare, "'since for miles above and below there is nothing in the shape of a bridge.' "'No, we haven't,' rejoins Joseph's mistress, "'answering the exclamation of the companion. "'I remembered him well enough, too well.' "'Why, too well?' asked the other, looking a little puzzled. "'Because we don't want him. "'But surely, Gwen, you wouldn't think of our going alone. "'Surely I would, and do. Why not? "'We have never done so before. "'Is that any reason why we shouldn't now? "'But Miss Linton will be displeased, if not very angry. "'Besides, as you know, there may be danger on the river.' "'For a short while Gwen is silent, "'as if pondering on what the other has said, "'not on the suggested danger.' She is far from being daunted by that. But Miss Linton is her aunt, as already hinted, her legal guardian till of age, head of the house, and still holding authority, though exercising it in the mildest manner. And just on this account it would not be right to outrage it, nor is Miss Wynne the one to do so. Instead, she prefers a little subterfuge, which is in her mind as she makes rejoinder. I suppose we must take him along, though it's very vexatious and for various reasons. What are they? May I know them? You're welcome. For one, I can pull a boat just as well as he, if not better. And for another, we can't have a word of conversation without his hearing it, which isn't at all nice, besides being inconvenient. As I've reason to know, the old curmudgeon is an incorrigible gossip, and tattles all over the parish. I only wish we'd someone else." What a pity I haven't a brother to go with us, but not to-day. The reserving clause, despite its earnestness, is not spoken aloud. In the aquatic excursion intended, she wants no companion of the male kind, above all, no brother, nor will she take Joseph, though she signifies her consent to it, by desiring the companion to summon him. As the latter starts off for the stable-yard, where the ferryman is usually to be found— Gwen says in soliloquy, "'I'll take old Joe as far as the boat stairs, but not a yard beyond. I know what will stay him there, steady as a pointer with a partridge six feet from its nose. By the way, have I got my purse with me?' She plunges her hand into one of her pea-jacket pockets, and there, feeling the thing sought for, is satisfied. By this Miss Lees has got back, bringing with her the versatile Joseph— a tough old servitor of the respectable family type, who has seen some sixty summers, more or less. After a short colloquy, with some questions as to the condition of the pleasure-boat, its oars and steering-gear, the three proceed in the direction of the dock. Arrived at the bottom of the boat-stairs, Joseph's mistress, turning to him, says, Joe, old boy, Miss Lee's and I are going for a row. But, as the day's fine, and the water smooth as glass, There's no need for our having you along with us, so you can stay here till we return. The venerable retainer is taken aback by the proposal. He has never listened to the like before, for never before has the pleasure-boat gone to the river without his being aboard. True, it is no business of his. Still, as an ancient upholder of the family, with its honor and safety, he cannot assent to this strange innovation without entering protest.' "'He does so, asking, "'But, Miss Gwynne, "'what will your aunt say to it? "'She mayn't like you young ladies "'to go rowin' by yourselves. "'Besides, Miss, "'ye know there be some not very nice people "'as moat ye meet on the river. "'Deed some be the roughest "'and worst of blackguards." "'Nonsense, Joseph. "'The why isn't the Niger, "'where we might expect the fate "'of poor Mungo Park. "'Why, man, we'll be as safe "'on it as upon our own carriage-drive.' or the little fish-pond. As for aunt, she won't say anything, because she won't know. Sha'n't. Can't, unless you peach on us. The witch, my amiable Joseph, you'll not do. I'm sure you will not. How am I to help it, Miss Gwynne? When you've go'd off, some of the house-servants'll see me here, and how's ever I keep my tongue in cheek. Check it now, abruptly breaks in the heiress, and stop palavering, Joe. THE HOUSE SERVANTS WON'T SEE YOU, NOT ONE OF THEM. WHEN WE'RE OFF ON THE RIVER, YOU'LL BE LYING AT ANCHOR IN THOSE LAUREL-BUSHES ABOVE. AND TO KEEP YOU TO YOUR ANCHORAGE, HERE'S SOME SHINING METAL. SAYING WHICH, SHE SLIPS SEVERAL SHILLINGS INTO HIS HAND, ADDING, AS SHE NOTES THE EFFECT, DO YOU THINK IT'S SUFFICIENTLY HEAVY? IF NOT, BUT NEVER MIND NOW. IN OUR ABSENCE, YOU CAN AMUSE YOURSELF WEIGHING AND COUNTING THE COINS. I FANCY THEY'LL DO she is sure of it, knowing the man's weakness to be money, as it now proves. Her argument is too powerful for his resistance, and he does not resist. Despite his solicitude for the welfare of the Wynne family, with his habitual regard of duty, the ancient servitor, refraining from further protest, proceeds to undo the knot of the Gwendolen's painter. Stepping into the boat, the other Gwendolen takes the oars, Miss Lee's sitting herself to steer. All right. Now, Joe, give us a push off. Joseph, having let loose, does as directed, which sends the light craft clear out of its dock. Then, standing on the bottom step, with the adroit twirl of the thumb, he spreads the silver pieces over his palm, so that he might see how many, and, after counting and contemplating with pleased expression, slips them into his pocket, muttering to himself, Miss Gwen's an owner to take care herself, and the old lady needn't a know a thin about it. To make his last words good, he mounts briskly back up the boat-stairs, and ensconces himself in the heart of a thick-leaved loristinus, to the great discomfort of a pair of thrushes, which have there made a nest and commenced incubation. End of chapter 3